Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. One of these days, I'll hire a pyrotechnician and uh, build a huge stage and play that song and um, just hit go, hit pyro. and Because um, everything's better with pyro. Hi, this is the Osh Against Berg podcast. I'm talking about pyrotechnics. I'm talking about fireworks that go off at heavy metal shows, okay? I used to be a lighting guy. I, I let pyro off. It, it's what I used to do. Um, I don't anymore, but that's why when you talk to me, if you have a name that has the letter S in it, you have to talk to me on the right-hand side of my body because my left can't hear S's. Anyway, hi, this is the Osher Ginsberg podcast. G'day, I'm Osher Ginsberg, and I'm very, very grateful that you're here because this is a weekly conversation with someone that I find truly inspiring and will hopefully leave you truly inspired as well. My goal on this show is to talk with guests that have a great story to tell or who have achieved something remarkable in their lives through their story, get inspired myself and hopefully inspire you too. If you're new to the show, welcome. Please check out some other episodes. Uh, you can subscribe in iTunes or just go to osherginsberg.com. If you're a subscriber, welcome back. Thank you so much for listening each and every week. You make my day every single day. Thank you. If you hear something that resonates with you, please, please tweet out a link, pop in a Facebook post about the show. Just tell someone. That's all I ask. If it's for you, if not, fine. Totally cool. I'm grateful to be here in your life because you're listening quite deliberately. You don't accidentally find a podcast. You do it deliberately. And, and uh, therefore, I find the relationship between me and you uh, quite different and, and quite a lot more special and sacred to a lot of the other um, broadcasting that I'm a part of. So I'm really grateful that you are a part of this part of my journey. So thank you. I have an extra special request this week. Well, two actually. If you could rate or comment on the show in iTunes, that would be that'd be pretty unreal. Look, I'm on the internet. I'm not hard to find if you need anything at all. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, online at osherginsberg.com. You can subscribe to the email list that's going on there. Um, I'll tell you about new episodes and occasionally I'll, I'll write a bit of something extra. Um, that uh, you're not going to get anywhere else. Speaking of Twitter, uh, on the 27th of December, 28th in Australia, I uh, accidentally blocked a few followers using a third-party spam filter. By few, I mean 19,000. So there's 19,000 people that had gone, yeah, I'll follow that guy, and now they aren't. So if you perhaps find yourself blocked from me on Twitter, because I can use the internet's gooder, um, there's now a link on my Twitter profile that if you click, it'll take you to a, a little Google form. So just pop in your Twitter URL, like http colon slash slash twitter.com slash your username whatever it is um then i can unblock you like super easily so please do that 
My guest today, really interesting guy. He's a New York DJ. Uh, pretty much he's a polymath. Uh, Sean Glass, uh, a guy that I'm blown away by because he started a record label a uh, little earlier, maybe around this time last year. Said to his very first artist, and I'm going to get you to the Grammys. And seventh month, seven months later did exactly that. This artist got nominated for a Grammy. So it's a pretty amazing tale of Manifest Destiny that I really jazz on. So more about him in a moment. What's going on with me? I'm, um, I'm actually okay, according to the people around me, which is a bit weird because I find I feel better than I did. I do. I feel a lot better than I did. You only have to listen to old episodes to listen to my voice. But the people around me, a few people this week have gone, man, you, I can see you so much better this week. I guess that, I guess that says a lot, you know, that I'm appearing more lighter or I'm just kind of better to folks around me. If you want to know better from what, just listen to some old shows. You'll hear me talk about it all. So yeah, I'm just simply, I'm just doing what my doctor says. I'm staying close with my mentor. I'm making sure I do, I'm making sure I do one social thing, at least one social thing every day. I try and get out of the house and see someone that every day. And that's helping a lot to actually go up and rub it, go out and rub up against the world and kind of interact with other humans. That's kind of good to get out of my head. If you listen to my other show, um, let Me Tell You Something, which is a, a podcast you can find on iTunes. I'll do it with Natalia Perez. It's a show we just talk about relationships. And I talked about going on a... I was on a setup date this week. Well, that happened on Saturday. It was fun. I'll tell you about it when I tell Natalia. Um, those The Let Me Tell You Something show comes out on Friday. Short version, it, it went pretty well. But I can't bloody figure out first kisses. I'm actually quite shy when it comes to these things. And I'm always really shy about this kind of stuff. I can never figure it out. I never know when to go for it, when not to go for it. I just don't know. Anyway, she went home wondering if I wanted to kiss her or not. Anyway. (laughs) And again, thanks for being in touch. Look, I'm really grateful that me talking with you about what's going on resonates with you. I can only judge that by the amount of emails and Facebook notes that I get. It's... um, it's really nice to know that, you know, I'm not doing this alone and that we're all in this together because after all, we are all one living on a pale blue dot hanging in space uh, that we do need to take care of. We'll talk about that a little later on. Let me tell you about my guest today, Sean Glass. Sean Glass is one of the most driven people that I know. He's the head of his own company, his own music company. It's called Win Music, but he's way more than that. He's a DJ, first and foremost. He's a tech entrepreneur. He's a promoter. Pretty much he's a marketing genius. He's a hustler. <laughs> he wouldn't mind me saying that. He's a party planner. He's a man that knows what Manifest Destiny is all about. Like I said, he said out loud, the first artist that he released, I'm going to take you to the Grammys. Seven months later, he made it happen. I love that. I love meeting people who prove that Manifest Destiny exists. He talks all about how he did it in this episode. You can follow him on Twitter. His Twitter handle is at s dot glass s-d-o-t glass um and also check out the latest release from his artist room eight they're called visions of you i'm sorry the song's called visions of you you'll get why i like him when you listen uh he was exposed through his father early in life to what possibility looked like in the music industry and even though and he talks about you know the the growing up that he did even though his growing up was very different to your growing up and my growing up he still 
kind of he bootstrapped his own company using money from his own DJ gigs to make his dream in the music industry a reality, which is pretty damned awesome. If you like anything about this episode, if you take anything from it at all, from it at all, tweet him. He's a great guy at s dot glass s d o t glass. Let him know. You, we could all use a bit of Sean's vibe in a, in our day. So if there's one thing that I hope you can get from this conversation with Sean, it's that just try and tap into his enthusiasm and his drive to execute. You might not be creating a music company that's going to change the world. Sure, that's I am. I'm not. You're not. Well, you might not be. You might be. I don't know. But I guarantee you that some aspect of your life is being worked on by you right now. All right? And I would hope that you apply what Sean is about and his energy and and find some lessons from him here to, to make whatever it is that you want to do different about your work, your love life, your kids, your headspace, whatever it is, become what you want it to become. But of course, these things don't happen by themselves. We have to work. We have to do the work, right? And just listen to how hard Sean works. We recorded this chat a few months ago now uh, it, at an amazing suite in the Mondrian Hotel on Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles, where he was staying for the Grammy week. And as you'll hear, as he and I were talking, a hotel room party that started down at the pool deck where I met him, we went, he said, hey, come upstairs, we'll record the show. The hotel room, the hotel party came up to the room. And so, you know, he and I were having a conversation and watching the sunset over the Pacific in Los Angeles. And it's just a stream of like really attractive men and women, very fashionable kind of LA People started wandering in and out of the hotel room, carrying on in the background, having a, you know, whatever happens in LA hotel rooms was happening in front of us while we talked. Um, so enjoy this. Imagine that going on uh, while Sean and I discuss sex, drugs, and EDM. Hello, Sean Glass. Hello. How are you? Great. Tell us where we are. We're in my magical hotel room at the Mondrian, where so much stuff has happened in the last few nights. <laughs> <laughs> it's been quite a week for you, which we're going to get to, but I'm just trying to, I want to describe to the folks listening what your job title would be, and if I'm not mistaken, you're, you are you are a DJ who happens to also run a record company. Before I say anything, can I curse? You can say anything really? you I want. Really? I can say yeah. fuck? And like, you okay. can say fuck, whatever um, you like. So, I have a very tough time providing an actual, like, legit job description. I joke, I say all the time, I've never had a job in my life. I don't have a driver's license. I've never had coffee before. I've never had a business card. Um, but I guess to, to put it, you know, to describe rather than define, um, I call myself a DJ first both because I was a DJ first and because my DJ career even today informs all of my other careers and other decisions. And I really believe that that's most responsible for what, whatever I'm good at, whatever culture or taste I have, it comes from DJing, not from whatever entrepreneurial side I have. I love my entrepreneurial side, but I'm happiest when I'm playing an amazing party. So forward from there is... I DJ, I run a company called Win Music that is known as a record label, but really I have aspirations for it to be something entirely separate and different from that. We're going to talk more, about that. Yes, absolutely. More, more plugged into different angles like the tech world, like the branding world, like the live events yeah. world. But you're, so, but there's a, there's, there's a lot to you, but 
This is what I kind of wanted to, because this is what we talked about when we were uh, in Utah the other day. Is that, and I really liked how you define that. It's like, first and foremost, you're a DJ. And that's the thing that informs everything else, which I, I really, I really kind of like. Now, we're going to talk a lot today about, about how you are, where you are, where the music industry is going, in your opinion. But I would like very much if you could share with people, this time last year, could you tell the folks what your goals were? Well, this time last year was actually a really crazy moment. Um, so apart from you know, my, my whole family's in the music industry, and this time last year was a very joyous moment for my family, um, specifically my father, who has a record label called Glass Note Music. And um, the, we, he represents Mumford & Sons, and we won Album of the Year, which is the, the biggest award there is to win. And actually, well, I guess this time, literally last year, they would have just won the Brits also. Right. So it was a few days later. But Sunday night was the Grammys, and um, uh, what what were my goals last year? Um, Shit. Uh, Give me a moment. (laughs) Um, Because if I'm not mistaken, it was like, I'm going to start this record company, and I want to get a Grammy nomination. Oh, 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 fine. Okay, okay. I see what you're referring to. Yeah, yeah. So I've been developing what, what is now when has been something that I've been developing for a while now. The genesis of the idea, I never wanted to make this company. Where it came from was I was DJing, then I was booking. The booking turned into programming venues and not promoting, but organizing promotion. And what I was more interested in emerging artists than just booking the big DJs and shit like that. So I had to end up breaking artists, even if it's just locally. And then I realized that's the work and you know I'm also working at a label doing A&R everyone's saying why don't you just sign this artist and eventually I was like alright shit I should um, so that was a while ago I mean years ago yeah four years ago three years ago because I took it really slowly I wanted to do, I wanted to do it right and I didn't want to model myself after archetypes that I did not believe in I did not want to raise a bunch of money being a guy who's never run a business and doesn't even know how to hire somebody I wanted to bootstrap on purpose because it was kind of a, a proof is in the pudding model where like the revenue will drive, like the energy will drive my decision making, not sit back and make a business plan and go implement it. It was more like make the best decisions I can make each day. And thankfully I have like a successful DJ career and that allowed me to finance everything myself. Um, so this time last year I was in conversations with a, a number of artists about what my I think there was probably a year where I was ready to start mm-hmm. and I didn't because I yeah the fits weren't right and there were a bunch of there were probably four or five different records that were almost my first release my first release ended up being Duke Dumont Need You 100% and I you know it's the best decision I've ever made in my life and I'm so proud and, and honored to have been a part of that campaign and to continue to be a part of it and um, what, what Asher is referring to is I said to the manager and the artist about a year ago before we put the record out that I'm going to be the only guy who's in the booth with you at 6 in the morning and knows every song you're playing and can go track for track with you and probably be a better DJ than you and also wake up two hours later, go into an office building and get you on the fucking Grammys. And meaning touch the underground, touch the real culture, but also understand how to speak the language of the traditional industry, the mainstream, and scale. And I But you said, that, you said that out loud. You said, I said this it, to this I'm going to yeah. take you to the Grammy. Yeah, it's on, it's on an email um, a year ago. And I truthfully thought it would take about three years. I was confident we would do these things. I thought 
three years in, once I've hired a bunch of people and once my company's bigger and whatever, it's, uh, it took seven months. And uh, it was my first release. So I did not really think it was going to happen right away. But um, I worked really hard to make it happen regardless. And it just fucking worked. <laughs> and you, you, you put a record out that got nominated for... Best Dance Recording. Best Dance yeah. Recording. And what was significant about it to me was... so. The first blog post that I wrote on I write a blog post every time we put anything out, and or, or anytime we throw an event that I care. I, I write blog posts when we create content mm-hmm. that I want to share with whatever my audience or yeah. my friends, whatever it is. So, the first day we launched, I believe it was May seventh. Um, I wrote a blog post, and that blog post was about the culture of dance music and the, the current state of the industry with EDM. And I wrote about how. EDM is not real. It's not, it's not, EDM is a marketing term. It's not a genre. It has nothing to do with dance music. There's no precedent. There's no culture there. And it's not, it's not, I'm not necessarily criticizing EDM. I'm just being clear that these guys who are EDM superstars were not growing up on house music and stuff like that. They were just, you know, they're just, they're pop music people. And they jumped on a bandwagon. And bandwagon is amazing. And, and, and it's, it's a, EDM came out of nowhere and, with America, of, it came out of nowhere. No, but it's not the way, you know, in Berlin, you don't have fist pumping and stuff like that. It's a very different culture. Yeah, you're right, actually. You know? You're absolutely right. I mean, and I could, I'm not going to sit here and give my personal opinions. Like, I, I happen to like one over the other, but it's, I, I don't disrespect the EDM thing. Yeah. I, I just, it's not for me. Yeah. And I've always been very clear that we're not an EDM label, and I talk about dance music. Um and what I said was that, thankfully, EDM created this platform where no one was really paying attention to dance, and now all of a sudden it's this huge industry. So whether you like it or not, you have to respect it because that's what's bringing the money in, that's what's bringing the attention in, that's what's bringing the, the, the platform in. But dance music was not getting any of that juice, nothing. So it was all the EDM people, none of the Deep House people, none of the disco people, none of the techno people. Their fees weren't going up. I th- you know, someone told me two years ago they booked Lee Burridge for $1,500. And you know, now, finally, Lee Burridge is getting those fees. But um, what we did was, you know, what I said I want, I said that Duke Dumont, was, that Need You 100% is the best song of the year. And it's, rep- it's not an EDM record. It's... It, it's a dance music record and it's also just a pop song. So what Need You 100% did was it combined Chicago House, Detroit Techno, New York Disco into verse, chorus, verse with a hook, actually two hooks and if I, if I could argue. Um, structure, song structure that mainstream audiences understand how to listen to. It wasn't one of those minute and a half drop breakdown again. That's what that's the structure of you know an EDM song, and it's all the same. And again, not criticizing it, just it is. Yep. So this is this was something that was different. And what I wrote in that article is, you know, my goal was to cross this and to bring this. Th- th- that I thought that EDM got really, really big, but it didn't cross. It was not actually mainstream. It was just really big. And I thought that we still have the opportunity to cross dance music. And I think that's what we're doing right now. And, and basically my proudest moment of the year was after the Grammy nomination, the Wall Street Journal wrote an article that if you read the two articles, they're basically the same article, seven months apart, my blog post and the Wall Street Journal article. And it talks about how uh, for the first time, active, you know, ex- a perfect example of what I'm saying is that no one gave a shit about like someone literally said to me the other day, 
I can't believe there was no Grammy Award until two years ago for Best Dance Recording. And I was like, wait, do you, I, I thought he was kidding. He actually thought that they did not represent dance music at the Grammys. You just didn't know about it. You didn't care. But Donna yeah. Summer won a shitload of Grammys, you know? Yeah. There's been a dance category forever. Just no one cared about it. Now it's like the seventh listed category because yeah. Skrillex and Calvin Harris and stuff. Good. And so, good on them, I say. Yeah, and, and good for them. Did you, did you get to, because uh, you write in that blog post that, did you get to take your dad to the Grammys? Oh, yeah, yeah. He walked the red carpet with me and Duke. That yeah. must have been pretty there's amazing a, yeah, to take your dad to the there. Grammys. Yeah. I mean, he's taken me a bunch of times, and this year he didn't have any. He, 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 Mumford & Sons had two, like, like a music video nomination and a packaging nomination, but that's not really us. We don't have anything to do with it. So I was, I was the one uh, in that pre-tell with the, you know, with the actual That must nomination. have been pretty amazing in the car on the way there. <laughs> it's cool. I mean, it was, it was nice. He's still the heavy-duty one, you know. I walk, I walk around and... You know, no one really gives a shit about me, but they still, he's still the, you know, he's still the boss. But We're uh, talking about your father, Daniel Glass, who is, as you say, he's quite a heavy hitter. What did you learn growing up? I mean, like, as a kid, we believe that, you know, what we see, this is, this is just how everybody has it. So at what point did you realize your dad had a different job? At what point did you realize not everybody has Huey Lewis come around to dinner? Like, at what point did you realize it was different? I, mean, I think I always knew I was a really spoiled kid. My dad kind of, I don't know how he would say this, but the way I kind of think about it years later is like he kind of grew up. He was a young father. He was like 23, 24 maybe. Who even has a kid at 23, 24 now? That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, no one. I mean, I'm 29 like, and nowhere near having kids. Um, and uh, he did a lot of stuff with me when like he let me, I flew on. He flew me to the MTV Awards on a pri- on an MGM Grand flight with like it was like all celebrities on the flight, um, for the and we flew for the night. You know, and I was like six, I don't know. And I remember for Halloween one night they were shooting Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and we went down to North Carolina like on a private plane. That's what I did with Halloween. That wasn't even the entire night. We flew there and back in the night to go on set for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which at the time was, you know, the biggest thing on the, the planet. The biggest thing in the world. That's like LCD sound system for me today. You know, yeah, Daft right. Punk. Like, um, and my sixth birthday. Yeah, I was six. Uh, um, 1991, I guess. Yeah, 91. Um, during when you have your birthday during class, like maybe your parents bring cupcakes or something or you know you have your grandparents come in or your brother and sister and they you do they sing happy birthday i had vanilla ice come in and perform <laughs> <laughs> so like i knew and it was but you re- didn't, it's not like you asked for it come on oh not like- at all no i hated it honestly because what happened years later was like oh yeah i broke my leg when i was 8 so I got taken to school in a limo every day, and then my leg healed, but I still got taken to school in a limo every day. Two blocks. Like, just because my dad thought that was cool. His name was Alberto. Same guy every day. He was amazing. I loved that guy. He was like a fucking uncle. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then years later, things, you know, years later, my dad got... He just, you know, he was working at major labels. He was running major labels. And, I, you know, that wasn't what he wanted to do. He was... He, he, Chrysalis is what he wanted to do. That was his company when, in that period that I'm talking about, Chrysalis and then SBK. And then he got, you know, grew, and he was a, an amazing promotions guy, and he worked on a bunch of companies that, like, I think he just got, you know, it was one to the next to the next. So and was it always, was music industry like, always what you were going to do? He's always been a label guy. Oh, no, for, for you? Me, yeah, oh, no, for you. I was a film guy. Were you like, I'm not interested? Dad, don't ask me to come and be a part of it? 
I always loved music and I've always had, I don't think there's ever been a job where I haven't had, I don't think there's ever been a time where I haven't had some job in the music industry, not job job, but like consulting or A&R or whatever. So I've always been around it because I'm passionate about it, but I hated the industry. And it wasn't really until the last few years that I decided I would get more involved in it. And that was basically because I thought that I could fuck the industry up. What was it about it that you hated? A lot of the same things that my dad probably hates, why he started his company recently, Glassnode, and why it's so successful. Um, I think that, I guess, I guess I could define it by comparison, where I work a lot with the tech world right now, and I leave a meeting. Yeah, okay, so I've been having a bunch of meetings about, about a, spe- there's a specific vertical that I'm about to grow in my business, and I've been having a lot of meetings with different people about partnerships for that vertical. And... Like flipping out in most of the meetings because everyone's talking about ideas and this and that and everyone's congratulating me on the fucking Grammy nomination and like, who gives a shit? It's 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 pointless and all I care about is action and the music industry. A lot of people like to schmooze and wine and dine and network and stuff like that, and you know you leave a meeting with no action points, and it's just a different culture. And and in technology, I have those meetings and we leave with five action points. They're on the email right away, and you know. We, we follow up, we get shit done, I talk about activations all the time. Um, and then, so the, the real thing that I hate about the music industry is um, the way the music industry responded to digital culture. Yeah. And I think it's set back not only music, obviously music, but, but you know, the world. You're talking like, downloading. Yeah, you know, like yeah. Napster and all of that. The way that the music industry responds to any innovation mm. is, okay, so music is controlled by a few people, big companies. And those big companies have a way to make money, and their incentive—you know—they are constantly incentivizing themselves to keep it the same way. They don't want to change. They have a lot of people who are getting paid to do a certain thing, and like if it, if shit changes, they become redundant, you know. And they still have to pay those people because they have contracts and stuff. So when things change, when things get better, it doesn't get better for those people for another bunch of years. So they try and just push those years off as much as possible. So like when Napster should have taken three years to adjust the industry, like the entire industry, I think that's a reasonable thing. It's taken 20. You know, it's, it's not even happened. We still haven't gotten there because um, what's been proven lately is that the digital download era is going to be not even – it won't even be remembered in history. Like people are going to be, oh, there were five years where people downloaded songs on the internet. They purchased songs like we're, we're talking, iTunes is rain is going to be like, you know, their peak lasted a year and a half, and that's it. And now it's going down. It's all going to go towards streaming. It's all we had this idea that oh, we needed to have our record collections, and that's just com- completely wiped out now. Like my 16 year old brother does not give a shit about when people come over and look at his iTunes. It's just not the way. It's not the culture anymore. It's about curation. And it's about, you know, I think the Netflix model of rating system is going to happen a lot. Um, Anyway, but point what I hate about the music industry is the way that they suppress innovation, and I didn't want to be a part of that. I always thought it was really sleazy, and it was run by a bunch of white-haired guys, and most people, like, I was a big music guy. I Everything that I did when I was growing up was around going to shows. I loved it. I loved the culture. I loved nightlife culture, too, as a DJ. Um, but the guys that I knew through my dad, most of them aren't music people. They say they are, but they're not. They don't know shit. And, like, they don't, they're not passionate about it the way that a lot of us are. Um, and I love dance music culture because it's really run by a lot of passionate people. Um, EDM has messed with that a little bit because there's a lot of money in it now. But 
really effectively like like dance music maintains that passion and i didn't want to be in the music industry because i did not think that i just i just thought labels were not full of passionate people i worked at a label when i was younger and i made up the joke while i was there is the worst way to spend you know how, how do you want to get fired from x label like waste your time listening to some music you know <laughs> like it was right. just that's how i used to say it because it was all about all about numbers and you know there's no listening to music anymore right hi come on in hey guys come on and welcome there's a few folks walking into the hotel room right now uh they're carrying travelers it's nice if everyone's stocked up Oh, yeah. Are there chairs in here? We've got uh, alcohol. There's a the bed, though. Fuck it. Right. Go, go for it. We'll just be here. Oh, there's oh, a chair. There's a spare chair there. Um, so there's now we've now got we've got y'all y'all sit on the bed and have a chat. Um, there's about oh, there's a there's room here if you want to come and sit and enjoy. Um, where did we get to? Uh, Why I hate the music industry. Well, we, I, think we, I think we fairly covered that. Yeah, no, that's if funny. any of y'all want to chime in at any point, by all means, come on over. Um, We're just going to be having a man party over here on the bed. There's a yeah. man party on the bed. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I, I'm here. So what was the, at what point did, did, did you decide, ah, oh, maybe DJing is the way back in? Like, was that the way, way in? Like, did it just start as something you wanted Not to do? Not at all. I didn't DJ because I wanted to get back into the industry. I, I, I was doing A&R at a record label when and it's, to explain to folks A&R is like you work oh, yeah. with the band and go of the 20 songs you've got to this record here's the 8 I think we should really go with so here's the 10 I think sure it, it, it's scouting and then it's also like shaping what the music should sound like yeah. some of the best A&Rs in the business are completely hands off you know some of them are really hands on and effectively executive producers you know, it depends uh-huh. but um, at this point I was very hands off because I was working at a label that wouldn't possibly sign anything I brought in I was just cashing a check and I kept very quiet and I kept cashing that check even after my boss got fired because they didn't know that I was on payroll that's how much of an impact we were able to have as an A&R at that particular label right. anyway so the reason why I started I DJed when I was a kid and uh, loved it but I wasn't very good I was a hip hop DJ I was a scratch DJ who didn't know how to scratch and I played out a little bit, but um, it wasn't a career. It was a hobby. And I stopped because I went to college, and I had all my turntables and my crates, and I was, like, living with two guys right in the bed next to me. or like, in three beds in one room yeah. in my dorm room. And I was like, fuck, I can't put my, my turntables anywhere. I can't practice. So that was, like, the end of my DJ career, uh-huh. freshman year of college. Years later, I'm working in film whatever I'm doing, I don't need to tell the whole story, but like working in film and basically got to the point where it was like, okay, these gigs that I'm doing that I'm spending tons of time on and reinvesting the money in, like they're not gigs that I even want to be doing. So in order to replace that income, like I, it was, I think it was like, like my, my girlfriend at the time was like, why don't you DJ again? Cause people were always asking me. So I did. And it was like $300 for six hours to go play on a Friday night, bring some friends. And you know, now if someone said, hi, I got $300 to play for six hours. I'm like, are you like, you know, $30,000, you know, like, like six hours. Last time I played for six hours, I, mean, I play for six hours when it's an amazing party and I want you yeah. but to go play at someone's club for six hours. Like, Suck my fucking dick, like. <laughs> but like, yeah, but you're was, very different. You're a DJ, of very different caliber. You have a different draw. At the time, I showed up. I didn't. I had never played Serato before. My right. first, my first time. I, it this was, is the digital. Just so folks know, when you see people playing on a laptop at a, at a, at a club, they're actually they never change records, never change CDs. The two CDs control the software which plays the MP3 out. Right. It's a bit, it's a bit finicky to get underground and under the decks and, and, and change it around in between sets sometimes. Yes, indeed. Um, 
And at that point, I had never, I had only played vinyl, and that's all I knew how to do. But I just, like, didn't, everyone, so my friend Mike Gogel was the first person to ever book me as a DJ, at the, in my second, you know, round of DJing. Yeah. And he was the former manager of Lotus, which was a club I used to go to as a kid, underage. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and he was managing some other club, Union Square Lounge, and he was like, yeah, man, you want to come DJ Friday nights? I'll give you $300 bring some friends, you know, whatever. So I got free drinks for all my friends, $300 every week. I eventually did that two nights a week and That's $600. That's a pretty good coin. A week, yeah. Like, and that was awesome. And all I had to do was show up for six hours and play music. And yeah, and anyway, it nice. sounds very different today. But, but, but now um, you've got, what I like about you is, and I wanted to ask this question, as someone who runs this, this record label, this record, company this music company let's call it a music company what sure. you've got right now do you say for example you're an interesting artist this is fun let me take this record i'm thinking of putting out and i'm going to play it in my club tonight and i'll see what people do like do you use that to like testing records yeah. out oh yeah totally i mean one of the guys in the room has a record that we were talking about that a few minutes ago like he had, i was like you got to send this to me i need to test it like i just i like to play records i always like people send me shit to stream and like like private links on SoundCloud and I'm like no send me first of all I also travel a lot so I hate when people do that because they expect that I'm going to sit down at a computer and dedicate time to listening to these 75 different SoundClouds that I get sent so I love SoundCloud but that's not the way like you gotta send me downloads um but I also love getting downloads because I like a 320 MP3 or a 1411 wave I like that because I get to go play it out and test it so I do it all the time um I very rarely just someone like show up with a USB and say play this record out like they they have to be someone who's very trusted yeah. but I do it all the time myself and I that's, like, um, that's wild as the, the like the old days you hear about Nile Rogers taking label. a test yeah, pressing yeah, yeah. to the club next yeah. door like that night after they recorded that it, shit's that, awesome yeah like that kind of stuff yeah like we, uh, the uh, the Tiga record that we put out this year let's go dancing that's what Tiga did like Seth Troxler just like got it on a USB while he's playing and just oh this is the new Chica done like plays it out mixes it in one ear and just just plays it like that happened a bunch of times happened at Burning Man happened over the summer in Ibiza um, but I love that shit yeah but it's not it's not like it used to be you know we talked a little bit about how the music industry changed I've been in the music industry since it was, since 1992 is when I started in the music industry and it's almost like I've stayed the same but the industry is, doesn't represent anything that it did when I started. Like, people were still buying units. In fact, the companies that manufactured the equipment that pl the, the units played on were Wait, signing the records. Wait, unit to an American. Uh, a unit, like a, a CD or an oh, LP. Oh, okay, cool, yeah. yeah. Oh, wait, wait. So, like, the, the, still the model of, like, like the reason the record company started in the, in the 30s, 40s, whatever, was, like, we're selling all these, you know, gramophones. We need... Yeah records for people to put on these gramophones let's record artists to put on the gramophones to sell so they can buy all of our product right. at once it's like we're feeding the product i mean that was the apple model we're yeah. going to sell music to put on your ipod your ipod that you're going to purchase from us that we make a huge profit margin on yeah you know? right so as, as you said like how would you say besides what we discussed before is there is there is there a th like what's the main thing that you Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. You see, is, is broken in the music industry right now. What's broken more than anything is that uh, we had a vertical that did everything. Turn, you, you guys turn the heat on. Are you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> I tried that, but I didn't really like it that much. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to get you the, the flu. Oh, it's weird. Yeah, so maybe it's like, <laughs> like, turned up to like 80 degrees. So, so okay. So, what do you think is broken? What I th- I mean, broadly, it's that you know, digital downloads became the thing, and we haven't found a way to monetize that. I mean, very simply, as the vertical was record sales, and now that vertical is gone, but we haven't really replaced it. The way that everyone responded is with 360s saying, "Oh, we can't make as much money on this vertical record sales, so you're going to have to give me merch and touring." And so, a 360 deal is like basically the artist used to, in the old days, keep the money from the t-shirts, keep the money from the ticket sales. The record company only kept the uh, the record company only kept the money uh, from the records being sold. But now that there's less records being sold, uh, the record company gets a cut of everything, which is pretty full, including licensing, including... Not all the time when an artist chooses to sign a 360 deal. They're well, very predatory, in my opinion. Well, it's, it's pretty... Like, it's I don't do 360 intense. deals. It seems intense if you're yeah. a new artist. Like, what do you mean? So even when I guest star in Wizards of Waverly Place, you're going to take some of that money? Right. Like, I, I was working with an artist... Uh, last like two years ago, who um, she had a record deal with this bullshit record company. It was a thirty-six page deal for a company that had never released a record before, like wow. like a nothing company. These were ter- these were awful people, and they had her modeling. They had all this stuff. They had a. She told me she had a fifty-fifty with for, with a for one year, and I read it, and it was a fifty-fifty. Once she recoups. She, once she recoups the investment, plus $1,500,000, which is never. Like, and, and I was saying, like, find me an artist. You know, there's probably 10, I don't know. There, there's a few artists who, have, who are past recruitment that far. So her, it, was, it was really an 80-20 deal. And um, it was a one-year deal with a company option to renew every year for, like, nine years or something like that, plus... They earned. They they owned her masters in perpetuity, and so it was just that's worse than joining deal. the army. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and they took everything. They took all these ancillaries, like basically any way that she makes money. Easy, you can like that. if she wants to become a real estate agent on the side, they would take their cut. I like, signed <laughs> a deal like that once. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> that's full. I want. I want to build. That was one of the inspirations behind why I started my company because I wanted to find a model that really supported artist-friendly deals. Is the sound gonna be okay? Eh, they could be a little be quieter. Sure. Guys, be fucking quieter. <laughs> so say if you're 14 to 15 years old and you're just in that ravenous like if you're 14 15 as far as you're concerned music is free as far as you're concerned you never you should never pay for music like really? do, you, do you mean the, the opinion of a 14 15 year yeah like right oh, okay, now okay like right now if you're 14 15 yeah. music is free it comes to you via not YouTube. exclusively 14 15 year olds well, like a lot of people think that yeah. yeah so how can you explain to someone who's listening that I remember saving up money so I could buy actual records. Right? And then I remember saving up money so I could buy CDs. And then when I got paid, it was like, yes, I'm going to buy that new CD I've been... And sync. <laughs> it was actually, I was like, that my new Bill Aswell import CD, it's taken yeah. six Midnight weeks oil. to... It's come in for six... No, we lived in Australia, I man. Know. So it was like, it took six weeks for my... my, my uh, Praxis record to come like the CD would come as the import Bill Aswell Praxis, records yeah, and shit yeah. like that, and 
I'll pay sixty dollars for it and just treasure this yeah, thing. Yeah. I used to have a, like box sets, like my Aerosmith box of fire and shit like that. You know, I loved it. So, what would you say to someone who's listening now? Like, how can they, yeah, yeah. if they like this artist, that they're taking, like, some the artist has to eat. If they like the music, if they want to be their biggest fan, the artist needs to eat. How can they support the artist if they're not paying for the music? So there's a few things at work with this. I mean, that's this. Your question right here is the the question. It's you know, the this question. Is, it's the, so there's. Well, you run a record company. You right. want to you want to be sure <laughs> that not only do you make money, but your artists make money, and also that, that the best amount of music can come out. So I'll say I'll, I'll give a I'll give a contextual answer first, and then some some specifics. I I say a lot that. You know, the quote, like, blood on the streets by real estate. I love that quote. It basically means, like, so I, I talk to VCs all the time, and everyone, no one wants to invest in the music industry. And I think it's an amazing time to invest in the music industry because whoever finds the new model is going to make so much money because two, the year 2000, I think it was 2000, yeah, like Backstreet Boys Millennium and NSYNC's second record, I think. Pop. Pop was that pop, it? Pop life, or pop something, something like, that. like that. It sold three. NSYNC's second record sold three point three million in the first day. Yeah, never going to happen again. Never going to happen again. But what that means is the amount of revenue that was generated out of that record release, like, I mean, so gigantic in comparison to today. And what that means, the way that I look at that is about a threshold how much the consumer audience is willing to pay for music. Like you just said, you save up. That $60, you know, when you're a kid, for weeks to get that one record. And then you treasure that record. That experience still exists. The threshold has gone down where maybe, you know, people spend thousands of dollars a year on records and now they'd only be happy to spend hundreds, whatever. But there's a lot of money left that we are not showing anyone how. So effectively what I'm saying is once we figure out how to create value for the consumer, the consumer is going to be more and more and more than happy to say, yes, like, thank you for this awesome experience. Like, here is money for it. So the val- we need to create the value, though. Our job is not to go figure out different ways to make money. It's, uh, our job is to create value. So I, I say – What does that lot, value look like? If, if I knew – I mean, I, I, can, I can name a bunch of things that I'm working on. But, like, the point is, you know, we haven't entirely figured it out yet. I'm, this is my life's mission. You know? yeah, yeah. Um, but what I say I, – I was in a meeting earlier today, and one of the things that I've realized this week just from talking about my structure is that I don't want Win to be – I don't want to be a salesman. I don't want to be pitching. I don't want to be promoting. I want to be focused on product. And that's what I'm good at. I'm good at ideas and strategy and putting different pieces together, identifying talent. That's all product. I don't want to be running around. The, the old model is like running around pushing, 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 promotion. You know, my dad is a promotion guy. And the reason why Glassnode is successful is because they do promotion better than anyone else in the industry. He has a traditional – Glassnode isn't known as a traditional label because it's an indie. It's the biggest indie in the world. But – you know, it's a traditional label because the way that they succeed is through the things that people were doing 12 years ago. And they just do it more effectively than anyone else around anymore. So a lot of the old guard, my dad is just their favorite person in the world. And my dad is so, so, so well-respected and great at all of these things that all of these other people don't know how to do anymore but are still huge. Like radio, you know, radio still sells more records than anything else in the world. No one knows how, you know, no one, everyone says fuck radio. No, that's bullshit. I was actually on this Clear Channel video recently that I did for Tom Pullman that about like under 30 year olds in the music industry talking about how radio is still important. And I really, really believe in it. 
for my company, you know, we got a lot of records on the radio. I mean, we got a lot of airplay for Duke Dumont this year, but I don't think that drove it. I think it was a few other things that we did that drove it. Um, our, our mission is, is to not just fix the model, but to find ways to create more value. And everyone's answers have been the easy things like touring and brands. And I really, I got really upset when, uh, there was a press conference recently from someone who I respect very, very much who talked about how not only is music free, but that music is not really an industry anymore. Music is just a support industry to other industries, and I don't, I don't agree with that. I believe that music is a, is a core artistic industry, and there's content that is valuable. So like you said, how do you justify these artists eating? <laughs> We're recording this. Just speak at like a regular volume. You guys are fucking six-year-olds. It's <laughs> <laughs> like indoor voices, you know? <laughs> so I, I got upset at the notion that we are only here to sell HP computers or uh -huh. Samsung phones. I, love, I work with HP. I work with Samsung. I love these brands. I support these brands. I use them. I wouldn't work with them if I didn't love the products. But that's not my job. My job is not to go sell those things. I love working with them. That's one of the things that we do, but that's not our industry. Our industry does not exist to go sell other products, to go make a soft drink cool, or to go make a fashion company have a better runway show because they got to sync that song. You know, yeah, right. That's not our industry. We are going to find a way to create more value, and I think I, that's on product. So until that happens, how can a fan pay the artist back if it's not, if they don't have an opportunity to pay like, if they're just listening to a SoundCloud for free, how can they pay the artist back if it's not in money? Go to the shows uh, is, is, the, is the easiest thing. Buy the T-shirts. You know, I mean, we, we haven't... Th th it's really a shame that I don't... You know, I, I want us to get there, us being win. I, this is a question that I think about all the time. But, mm. you know, for that fan that... Like, Beyonce, that's an amazing release. As a, as a Drunken Love is my song of the year. And that marketing strategy was just amazing. I was more than happy to give her sixteen ninety five. I did it the, like within 40 yeah. minutes of it coming out yeah. and I tweeted my balls off for about an yeah. hour. Like I did her marketing for her. <laughs> as did millions of other people because we appreciated it, you know? And I'm more than happy to give her more than that sixteen ninety five. I wasn't available for her concert. I couldn't give her that $75. I would have been happy to give her that $75. So it's, it's a difficult thing where it's like back in the day, it was, okay, cool. I like the music. I'll buy the cassette. I really like the music. I'll go see the show. I really, really like the music. I'm going to sign up for the fan club. I really, really, really like the music. I'm going to be on your street team. You know, yeah. there's a, there was a scale to how involved a fan could get in the artist. You know, oh, I'm going to go on tour with the Grateful Dead. Like, yeah, it's a lot of different things. Oh, I'm going to start my own website in dedication to this artist. Uh -huh. You know, it doesn't. We don't have those outlets for the fans anymore, and we need to we need to figure that out. Yeah, that's a big goal. Yeah, right. of, of us as an industry. Um, I'll see you. You gonna be in town tomorrow? Nice to meet uh, you. I Cheers. leave. I leave at eleven thirty. In the morning. PM. Oh, cool. I'll hit you up tomorrow. That's a great hat. I just want to tell you, that's a really great hat. Oh, cool. Thanks. Straight dudes are so weird taking compliments about fashion. That's <laughs> true. I don't want to take your pants off. I just want to tell you, it's a great right. hat. But that, so that's, 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 that really answers my question. Um, so, so how do you see the, the, it? The answer to the question is, is there is no way. And it sucks. Yeah. Yet. 
There's no way. There's no yet. way yet. Yeah. Right now, all that fan, all the the people who are getting paid are the promoters, are the festival promoters. Because when a fan really wants to spend more and more money on something. Like when a fan says, oh, my God, this is my lifestyle. I'm dedicated to this. They just go to lots more festivals. That's right. the way that we've told them how to spend their money. And we just make those festival prices higher and higher and higher. And Same the artist fees. The artist fees go up for DJs. They go down for rock bands. And I want to talk about that a little <laughs> later. I want to talk about that a little <laughs> yeah, later on. But sure. just before we get out of this, uh, just, to, just to get out of this little part here um, – how do you see it? Like it used to be like singles were the only thing in the world. Then FM radio came. Then it was just albums. We play entire albums in the morning on FM radio. Yeah. Then back to singles. And now we're in this world where like, uh, have you heard the 15 second bite of that new person's song on Instagram? Right. How small is it going to get? I think it's just about, well, I mean, you know, we're the multitasking generation or whatever they, the generation Y, they say a million different things like that. Uh, we consume in a way that, you know, our cycles, our information cycles are absurd. You know, it's, it's, it's grotesque um, how something can be cool for five minutes and then, oh, yeah, dude, come on, man. That was this afternoon. Like, <laughs> I saw that on Reddit two days ago. Yeah, jeez. Oh, like, um, so I don't know. You know, I'm not concerned with fixing. Like, I hate Snapchat. You know, I, I get I get my friends. People send me Snapchats, and like one time someone sent me their tit on Snapchat. It was a girl I knew, and that was amazing. But literally once, like every other thing I've ever gotten on Snapchat is like I'm on a beach, ten second pan of the beach, or look at this dog licking my foot for ten seconds, and and like I'm the idiot who looks at it because it's like oh maybe something's gonna happen in eight seconds. Like no, doesn't happen. happens. No, like here's a picture of like. Me with a drink in my hand, and you wrote Cray on the thing in the fucking Kid Picks editor. Like, great. Th- with thanks. With MS like, Paint fingers. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. All right. And, um, I get it. I get it. Uh, so you mentioned this briefly earlier. How do you see the future? Just because you know, you're working on this kind of thing. It used to be a thing that if you were an artist and you put your song on a commercial, it was like, that's it. You're off the, as Bill Hicks said, you're off the artistic roll call for life. Now you, it's a pat on the back when you get that commercial. Exactly. You know? <laughs> how does licensing, do you think, come into, into what you do? And, and, and how carefully do you look at that when a, a brand comes to you with one of your artists? So I don't do pop music. I do niche stuff. I do, you know, more... I, I do records that the culture of the records it's, is very important. So... I don't have any artists where it's just like, yep, get me as many syncs as possible. Like, I don't have anything like that. But there are artists like that, and there are labels like that. Um, that's just not me. So when, so it is a major consideration every single time. Like, like churches, for example, everyone wants to sync churches. Everyone wants Lauren on, on their uh, movie or whatever it is. You know, we turn down a ton of things. Um, it, it's... it's uh, it's it's a number of factors more than it used to be so it's not just about the cool factor but you know it has to be a it has to be something that's on brand you want it to be credible you want it to be cool you know if it's a if it's some shit movie over i don't even know if it's a shit movie and they're paying for it and it's not like that's not going to hurt the brand really i don't know like um because it's it's, it's more like a like this is Actual cash that's actually coming to right. the artist. So, like, so, and in a world where they're not making money from selling yeah. the record in a store, you, the artists need to pay rent and they yeah. need to put food in the, in the fridge. You know, 
it, the, the big shift is that back in the day, people did not think about these things as, as promotional tools. Soundtracks became a thing in the 80s and 90s as like a big component, and you wanted to get on that soundtrack. But syncing it in the movie wasn't like the thing. There's Don't You Forget About Me, Breakfast Club, but like that, those are rare. You know, Ferris Bueller, like movies like that. John Hughes was 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 probably you know the best yeah. at it. Um, but that was that was the anomaly. Now it's like oh Josh Schwartz and and and, and all these TV people. And um, if you get on a Shonda Rhimes show, you know Alex Patsavis is 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 a genius at this. Scott Venner, like there's these amazing supervisors who become celebrities and and like. Yeah, Alex Patsavis was on the Power 100 for Billboard this year. And, you know, that was not a, a thing before. You know, Scott yeah, but Benner if you break actual... Snow Patrol by putting Chasing Cars I know, on the oh, outro no, Grey's Anatomy, that's wait, someone's... I'm a film guy. Like, yeah. I think that, you know, I, I associate music with films for... There's this, um... Who was it? Ah, whatever, fuck that point. Um, <laughs> I... I've always thought that music in films was extremely important, and the only reason the music industry caught up to it is because they had to, because there was a revenue stream coming from it where they right. had no other revenue streams. We just started doing it out of necessity, but we should have been doing it forever, I think. Right. I think promoting through these, these you know, it was really kids' shows that, that broke open that model of, like, uh, high school musical and things like that, where they realized, like, oh, man, music in films can generate money and get promotion out of it. And then it was Grey's Anatomy. And then you and send the like high school that. musical kids on tour, and then, right. hello, you're yeah. in. And then you make the Michael Jackson movie and stuff A large like part of what you do as well, which also really fascinates me, and you invited me to a few of these on the weekend, the Grammys weekend, where I was on my couch sick. You throw, uh, I believe the word, sick house parties. <laughs> uh, fully sick house parties. In fact, I've never been to a warehouse party in Brooklyn. What are they like? They vary. Um, some of them are like cocaine and ketamine and dark and just like weird and boring. Um, our parties, we put a lot of work into and we make them, first of all, like legitimate and safe. And we used to throw like crazy un unofficial parties that would just, you know, be lots of drugs and weird and whatever. Um, there was once a porn video shot at one of our parties like five years ago. Um, That's a bit weird. Like, yeah. what, do you, what do you do when that happens? Uh, I was DJing when it happened, and I had to confiscate one of the tapes because I was like, "You can't! I just can't have that exist in the world." Like, um, anyway, but uh, <laughs> uh, but now the way we, we put a shitload of work into the experience, and people use the word experience all the time, and to most yeah. people, the experience is we're going to put people on stilts or whatever, and we're going to have crazy light. like like if I go, if I go, will I end up like Hannah and girls swapping my shirt and then running through the CVS at three in the morning with it's someone about, else's t-shirt on? So so to take from Burning Man, participation is the most important thing, and that's what I really care about. And that participation is not just about putting on a great show, but it's also the ethos behind the people, the the messaging. It's you know the invite is really important. The door person is really important. You know, like the 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 way you book DJs at different times there's a we put bounce castles in there sometimes you know we have parties on like on a boat with the dock being the state the the uh, the crowd and stuff like that we have like a boat stage we did this summer um we like to do sort of like non-traditional spaces and non-traditional experiences I throw a party at a bathhouse but like we was that your party I yeah, saw the yeah. photos of that on crackbook Wait, I don't know about that site, but oh, Facebook. I saw, oh, oh, I saw part of oh, oh, yes, that was my party. That was yeah. your party. Oh yes. shit! Yeah, and like Business Insider covered my bathhouse party. Yeah, I, yeah. that's what I. <laughs> that's what I saw. Yeah, 
So that was that was one of my parties. That um, looked like it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, and like <laughs> cool people come, and we're respectful to those cool people who don't, you know, want the kind of attention of you know the press and stuff, and we don't, you know, we we protect them, and uh, I don't I don't know. It's hard for me to just like explain why our parties are awesome. It's more like I want people to experience. Them but I just know, like, since certainly since I, I don't drink anymore, since that happened, like I realized, oh man, I really was drinking my way into liking a lot of this music. Yeah. Now that I don't drink anymore, I go to clubs. And I'm like, this is uh, hi, this is uh, really kind of boring me, and I kind of and I want to just kind of go home. And it takes it takes a lot. Uh, yeah. now and then music has to be really quite awesome for me to dig it but when the music is right man I dance like I'm the kid in Moonrise Kingdom on the beach I'm just like <laughs> I'm so taken away with it now because it's just me and music and so when I hear you talk about these I'm like maybe I should go to your, these parties because the clubs I'm going to certainly don't give me that yeah like you don't need to be fucked up like I talk all I don't do any drugs I never have I always say like I run circles around the cokeheads like I have way more energy than them um, I tell a story about how I was in Vegas with some friends a couple of years ago and we went out and I was just like going nuts dancing really hard like in my fucking element and everyone else was was having a reasonably good time but they were like laughing at me the whole time because I was just so uh, out there and the next day they told me that the reason why I was so out there was because they had roofied me with Molly and I had never taken Molly before so this was my first experience on Molly I flipped out got very angry with them later in the day we found out that their drug dealer gave them placebos so nobody was high, and they were pretending to be high. I was just natural. I was just normal, wow. and I was on that level because I was just having a great time. And that, to me, epitomizes like our experience. Like that's how we roll, that's and so that's great. the kind of energy that we like to. Like I don't care about drugs. I don't want people around who are druggy. When I see people dealing drugs at my, like I literally put on invites. Like don't fucking deal drugs at my parties. Like I'm not saying that because I'm worried about the police. Like we're good with that. I'm saying that because I want people to be comfortable and I don't want people to feel like I hate what happened at Electric Zoo this year. And I hate the explanation that if we had tighter security, that would change things. No, Some, it's a marketing did thing. Someone, people died, yeah. Oh, right. And, that happens and, in Australia sometimes at dance parties too. Yeah. And a girl OD'd because she took yeah. six Molly. And my thing is not that, oh, she had access to six Molly and the security couldn't have found it. No. Why did she feel the need to take six Molly? Why did she need to get that high? To have that much fun. I do it with nothing. But there's a culture, there's a marketing machine behind it that tells her and her friends that in order to have that experience, she needs to be on six Molly. And that's really bad. And, and you know, fucking shame on the people who, who say it's about the security. It's not about the security. It's about the culture. And it's about the marketing. It's about the messaging. And I, for one, would love to send positive messages about you can party just as hard as anybody else sober frankly like I, I drink alcohol I'm not like a saint but when shit goes down like I'm always together I'm always ready to like I'm always the guy if, if something bad happens like I'm always on point and have my shit together I, people people lose their shit but like I just don't I, I just hate drug culture um, some more people just rocked up and I know you have to get going uh, so I'm going to ask you uh, like two more questions uh, three more questions then we'll get out of here um, just very quickly can you tell me the story very quickly about the party you threw at South by Southwest that you just invented on the day oh yes yeah. so uh, I do a ton of stuff at Interactive South by just because, because I'm, like I've been going to South by Southwest for 11 years now since I was a teenager and um, 
I always went for the whole time because I was in film, and then I would stay for music. And then what happened was I got very involved in the tech world. So um, I, at this point, all my energy goes into the first half of South by Southwest. I love the interactive part, music part. I get a little bored, but but you just like you like you met someone you like you know we should put a party on. Yeah, so we throw great parties for the first few nights, and then basically Tuesday night between interactive and music, we hadn't had anything planned. We thought it was going to be kind of a dead night, and then we realized like everyone's looking for something. So it was like five p.m. We were like having a cocktail at one of my. It was uh, we were at the Invisible Children benefit concert at uh, Vandal or something, um, and we're like, you want to just like throw a party tonight? It was my friend Jameson Detweiler. Um, and yeah, it was like five thirty, six o'clock. I sent a couple text messages. I got a venue like within about 10 minutes. We got a sponsor within about a half hour and through my friends, my group me is a big South by Southwest activation. That's my friend, Steve Martocci's company. And we used group me to send out, we had all these, uh, groups, these group messaging. So, uh, we had three groups. One was like a summit series group, all these different people, on the, and we used these three groups to get the word out. And within, by, you know, we started at like 1, 2 o'clock, 2 a.m., something like that. It was an after hours, and like a thousand people showed <laughs> up. And it was the best party. I mean, people still talk about that party. It was one of the best parties we've ever done. That's pretty epic. And it was in, everyone described it as a crack house. Like, and the floor <laughs> was like, the floor was not vibrant. It was bouncing, like moving up and down, like. Uh, yeah. There was a foot of leeway. Like, the radius of that, it was crazy. Amazing. There were bums sleeping in the back. My college roommate showed up and went to piss in the corner. And this is what he tells me. He says he pissed on some guy. Like, <laughs> he was sleeping in the corner. Oops. It was ridiculous. Wow. And we uh, got that party sponsored in, like, an hour. That's amazing. Right. You mentioned this very very briefly. You mentioned that EDM is this thing, but rock and roll is this thing. Like. There was a time when rock and roll was fucking dangerous. Like here on the Sunset Strip, Guns N' Roses were fucking dangerous. Yeah. Body Count were dangerous. People were afraid of that band. NWA were dangerous. People were afraid of that band. Why? Who's dangerous now in the music industry? And why is it? Why has it got so safe? Particularly in rock and roll. Um, so, I'll go a little to answer that question. I'll go a little sideways. Um, the way I think about the danger and the and the rawness is. I don't. I, I'm from New York, so Sunset Strip. Like, yeah, I did that a little bit, but I was I was a New York kid, and I talk about Bloomberg and Giuliani and how they cleaned up our city. Um, I was around when Times Square was gross. Like, I'm 29 years old. wasn't around for Taxi Driver, but I was around for sleazy movie theaters and stuff like that. I was around. Say, hey, little boy, like, you know, want to come inside? Like, there were. Drug dealers, there were hookers, there was all that shit. People got mugged all the time. There was the Bloods and the Crips when I was growing up. What time is it? Then they slash your wrists. Like, um, like my parents didn't let me walk to school by myself for a long, long time. Um, that doesn't happen anymore. And club culture changed a lot also because they stopped letting young kids in. And fake IDs got cracked down on. When I was 15, I was going to clubs, and we were so excited to go to clubs. We wanted to dance like crazy. Uh, the girls we would be with were just like, this was the coolest thing in the world to all of us. You know, when we're 15 years old, getting into a club is amazing. Now I don't give a fuck about it, you know? Like, we don't care. So everyone in the room doesn't give a fuck about it. And the culture has changed because of that. There's no one who's appreciative of these things. There's no one who's excited about these things. So 
you know, first of all, physically, like the city was cleaned up. Like that's why we go out to Bushwick. You know, we mm-hmm. go out to these dirtier areas because we want space. We want autonomy. We want to be left alone. We want to be able to go nuts and have people feel comfortable that they're not going to be like walking outside and run into their uncle, you know, yeah. whatever. Like when you're in Manhattan, it's all safe. It's all clean. It's all gentrified. Um, music wise, you know, rock and roll was, was uh, so basically the big thing is that Mystique has, Mystique used to be really cool. It used to be really cool to like, Withhold. Jimmy Page never did interviews. A guitar yeah. player from Led Zeppelin. You never heard him speak. Like never if you did got interviews. to know something about your favorite rock star, like oh my god, that changed your life. Now there's selfies. Yeah. Like it's how much information can you possibly give to the to the fans? That much? No, no, no. More, more, more. Like so, you can't be dangerous when like because no one's actually dangerous. You know, whenever you get to know somebody, serial killer, whatever. Like people are sad, but people are just want to be loved and they want to you know they want to be accepted they want to connect people just want to express and connect that's human nature so the only reason why you ever think someone's a fucking psychopath is if you don't know them and now if you know everything about somebody you you can't possibly think that they're dangerous you know the 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 horror movies i mean this is you know john carpenter like what's the scariest thing in the world this is horror right now yeah another example saw is the new the new kind of genre it's just shock 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 let's show as much blood as possible it used to be in the 60s 70s 80s like withhold don't show the monster and that's even scarier alfred hitchcock says the definition of suspense or sorry the definition of horror is when you're you show two people sitting at a table and a bomb goes off and they die the definition of suspense is when you show a bomb under a table and then you show two people sitting at that table and then you cut back to the bomb and then you go back to the two people and is the bomb going to go off or not you know that's suspense and that's much more effective than just having the bomb go off out of nowhere and that's you know our culture today though is we just want that bomb to fucking go off all the t- all the time we just want to see bombs go off we don't want that suspense we don't want that elusive mystique and yeah we want fucking selfies we want i get it snapchat i i get it so final question uh i asked you at the start of this chat what your predictions were at this time last year and you told me and you made them come true. What's happening the next year when, uh, when music? What's happening next year for you, Sean? I'm focused on structure right now. I, I mean, I think we're, we did, we proved a point that I thought would take a lot longer to prove, but we proved it in seven months and now I'm focused on, I'm going to continue proving that point with, with new artists, but like I know how to do that. My goal this year is structure and is creating this system that I really believe in and I believe is the new model and I believe it's something that's about I I say my two primary business principles are constantly incentivize ourselves to do cool shit and diversify and if we could do that we're creating positive energy we're doing good things and we are finding ways to make money on them that's the structure of the company and and I won't go into too much detail about what that structure is and not not because it's private I don't really care it's just because it's boring but like (laughs) you know we're gonna we're gonna create something that is that doesn't exist and is in What's, what's really sad is that every company that's being launched right now, I think, is still going after that 360 model, and I have an answer to something else, and that's what we're trying to create, and that's what I'm focused on for this year is building that model because we've kind of we've gotten to the point on the branding side and on the product side where, like, we can execute good shit. Yeah. And that's what I, that was my first mission is to establish ourselves as, like, we can do cool things. We could break good music. Um, now I want to form the system in the company. And what about you as a man? You're turning 30 this year. 
what's I'm what's, turning 29.5 this week. You are. What about <laughs> what about you as a man? What's coming in this year for you? Um, I don't know. My parents said uh, the other day that I was going to marry somebody rich this year, maybe. Um, and that, it was really funny because, like, two nights later, I went out with this girl, and I didn't know who she was at the time. And she had this last name that was, like, a, a very famous last name. And it didn't occur to me that she was that last name, and she was. And um, then I found out she has this media boyfriend, like, not a real boyfriend, but in the press they talk about being boyfriend-girlfriend. And he's another, you know, person with a last name. And, um, yeah, I was like, oh, maybe I'll marry that girl, and my parents will be happy. And then, you know, they won't have to worry about me. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, I don't know. I'll probably I'll probably uh, get back together with my ex girlfriend and marry her. She's better. <laughs> That's what I always say. <laughs> Whenever people ask me about like personal stuff, I just say I love my ex girlfriend and and that's who I'm going to end up marrying. And then she gets really mad. I know you're a super busy man. Thank you so much for this. No, this has been a totally super exciting afternoon. Asher and I slept together a couple weeks ago. We did. It was really nice. We'll share that yeah. story later. Um, <laughs> I'm going to take your photo. All right. Cool. Thanks, brother. And that's Sean Glass. Interesting guy, right? Follow him on Twitter at s.glass. S-D-O-T-G-L-A-S-S. Let him know you heard him here. And really, try to get on his mailing list because <laughs> I've seen some of the invitations he sent out. I, like I said um, earlier in the show, I was, uh, I was sick. I couldn't make the ones that week. He sent me a couple of invitations to parties he does in New York. Holy shit. Um you want to go to those parties hopefully I'll get to one of them one of these days at S-D-O-T-G-L-A-S-S just send him a tweet let him know you heard him here speaking of Twitter um, uh, remember that yeah I've got this uh, new thing on my Twitter profile twitter.com slash Osher Ginsburg if you've been blocked from me I'm really sorry I, I blocked a whole bunch of people around Christmas last year um, just pop on there pop your little Twitter profile in there and I'll unblock your quick sticks um, thank you so much for being here thanks for being in touch I finally got my stats sorted I know this kind of thing doesn't really matter I just make this show I don't really care how many people listen to it um, so over the last three months I haven't really known how many people have listened to it I've just been making it and I'm just judging by you know who's listening and who's not list- uh, like who's emailing and who's not you know I've got a vague idea who's listening from anyway <clears throat> I got my stats sorted, and holy shit, there's a lot of you. So thank you. I'm honoured. I'm truly humbled. Um, I really, really am. So thank you very, very much. I'll see you on the weekend um, with Let Me Tell You Something. It'll be out on a Thursday in the US and a Friday in Australia. Until then, sleep well, please. Sleep well. And dream of just dream of beautiful things. Thank you so much for being here. Adios. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. 
And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.